Welcome back to the Away Days podcast, as always, from the Panic Room, otherwise known as My Closet. Here, fitting in between all the collared shirts and ties. Um, this is Nate, and then again, Laith joining me from still from the grandparents' house. Is that is that still yeah, the base of operations? <laughs> still the base of operations, unfortunately. <laughs> well, uh, funny story about that. So, Laith, uh, in, in kind of in between jobs, I think is a fair fair thing to say here. Just out of college, so back at home, and where he where his parents live is in the middle of BFE. Only the real ones know what that means. I guess maybe a lot of people know what that means actually, but um, so his Wi-Fi sucks out there. So he has to come into town. That's, that's how you know you live out there when you say, I got to come into town to do something. Yeah. Um, but coming to town to his grandparents' house to, to get good enough Wi-Fi to do the pod. Although we never really tested this way of doing it at your actual house. Like maybe FaceTime would work at your house. Um, yeah, it's true. But I could easily see myself just raging immediately after just one thing goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can always test it one day. That's not a pod day. But today is a pod day, and we've got a lot to get to. So jump right into it, starting with football for a second straight week. Second straight week, excuse me. And I want to get things started off with college football. Again, that's kind of our bread and butter. Both I went to the University of Georgia, Laith went to Auburn, SEC football runs in our blood. That's always what our mind is going to be on on a Saturday. Although I do want to talk a little bit of Ryder Cup. I know you. there's not a chance you watched any of that or maybe not even knew that it was going on. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about that at, at some point. But theme of the weekend. Last week it was, you know, who is actually legit. You had teams like... Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama look a good bit shakier than we thought coming into the season. But theme of this week is they are who we thought they were. We should have trusted we should have trusted our gut last week in in doubting some of these big time teams. Will they full on let us down this week? And I want to start with number nine Clemson losing twenty seven to twenty one in double overtime at unranked NC State. Now, double OT honestly makes this game feel a good bit closer than it was, honestly. Um, having watched it, like NC State dominated both sides of the ball in this game, and Clemson certainly weren't helped by a couple of big injuries to Brian Brissy or Brisey or however you pronounce his last name, um, as well as Skalski, their what seventh year senior middle linebacker yeah. goes down with a stinger, um, and then five star running back. Uh, Shipley. I don't know if there's any relation there to the old uh, Texas quarterback Shipley, but um, I don't know. Probably not, because I think this Clemson running back is from Charlotte. So I think Jordan Shipley. I think Jordan wasn't that Texas guy's name. I think, yeah, I think he was definitely from Jordan Texas. Jordan and Jackson Shipley. I think were, yeah. there's two of them. But anyway, Clemson goes down. I was super pissed for most of this game because. I thought Clemson would kind of find it after last week. Like, surely a team led by Dabo Swinney with all these recruits doesn't lay an egg two weeks in a row. So I laid a lot of money on Clemson minus 10, uh, which obviously didn't happen seeing as they lost. But I was able to salvage it a bit with an NC State live bet that they would actually win. Um, but, Lath, I'm curious what, what you thought of that. Like, my overall take is that's just hard to watch. I don't know that I'll be watching another Clemson game this year. Yeah, I agree. We were talking about it early on. That Clemson offensive line just got manhandled the whole time from what didn't seem to be that too too much of a significant 
uh, NC State defense. It's just, I don't know. This this is the worst blocking Clemson O-line I have ever seen, not to mention the fact that Yuiaga Lele, however you say his name, he's just is not living up to the hype that he played last year. You know, he had like, what, two games where he got in and had performed pretty well. This time he's just been terrible. And this whole team, I mean, NC State, they could have put this one to bed a lot earlier too. I think, didn't the uh, – the, the kicker missed a, I know he missed the game winner 39 yards out in the at the end of the fourth but I think he missed a couple more before that point yeah so he did uh, he missed at least one prior to that but I don't want to get into it yet because I have it on the on the show list for a little bit later at the end of this segment but if you haven't picked up on it yet I enjoy a bit of college football gambling and I had a couple of horrible beats this weekend and Clemson was almost one of them I'll explain further but part of my saving grace in this game was picking NC State to win between one and six points and so basically I'm thinking hey we're we're out of this making this field goal going home happy and I ended up having to sweat it for another half hour but um but yeah again I they NC State had plenty of chances to close it out honestly and couldn't do it um and you know Usually, when an underdog, they they usually get one chance, you know, like in, yeah. in in these type of games where they pull off the upset, you usually can't fumble the bag that first time and get another shot at it. Because um, once they missed that field goal, I was convinced Clemson was going to go in and win in overtime. Yeah, me too. Um, but Wolfpack, hang on to get the win, and it's finally time to shut the book on Clemson. You know, hang on against Georgia Tech, get beat against NC State. They actually play, I think, a relatively tough Boston College team next week who's coming off a win over, uh, Missouri. over Missouri. So um, I saw, actually, speaking of that game, we won't talk too much about it, but I saw a funny, uh, a funny take saying, like, only the real ones know that the best ACC SEC game of the year was Boston College and Missouri, not Georgia <laughs> Clemson. So, uh, actually, kind of hard to argue with that that one actually went to overtime yeah. as well. So, um, yeah, Clemson just done talking about them. Worthless, you know. Had I not put money on them last week, I would have been, you know, living it up watching Davos when he squirm and get pissed off and throw his headset and and you know have things just go wrong for Clemson, but. Again, now it's just hard to watch. I'm staying away. But we are, though it's not so, excuse me, we are. They are exactly who we thought they were, or thought we knew who they were last week. They are that bad. But a team that struggled, actually had its struggles a little earlier in the year against Colorado on the road, surviving them, now finally goes down to really probably the first good team they've played. Number seven, Texas A&M, loses 20-10 to in Jerry World on a neutral site game against number 16, Arkansas, who has now crept inside the top 10, and we'll preview the big game day matchup they've got coming up against UGA in Athens. But, Leif, I can't remember. I think we both had A&M in this game. Um, I think you specifically said A&M's just got too much talent. I'm not trying to throw you under the bus here because I picked (laughs) A&M too, but given what we believe to be a talent edge, what – kind of what's wrong here with A&M or is Arkansas really this are they who we might think they are Are they actually that good (laughs) I'm going to give you my cop-out answer again because I think it is another double-sided thing I think that this Arsenal I mean this sorry (laughs) this Arkansas team (laughs) hey we got a big Arsenal talk coming up I know I know you're all waiting on it but yeah I'm (laughs) amped um but no this this Arkansas team they've got a defense with Barry Odom coming in to take the reins there that looks pretty nice uh one of the better ones in the sec behind georgia i would say um 
But I also, I think that this is just quarterback problems with Texas A&M. I was never a big fan of Kellen Mond, but boy, after these first couple games, if you're a Texas A&M fan, you might be wanting the Mond man back because Calzada's just not doing it. I think he went, what was it, 20 for 36, only 151 yards passing, and that's with uh, Arkansas holding them to very little rushing yards too. So I think when we talk about Texas A&M, yeah, you see all the depth and the skill positions, but if you don't have a guy that can distribute that ball around and get things going, then it's obviously not going to work out for you, and I think that's the case for them at the moment. Yeah, I honestly am as, – as I'm not too willing to give Arkansas a ton of credit because I actually – I think it's cool of a story it is, and Sam Pittman, love him. You know, former Georgia offensive line coach. I think he's really is building a strong program there. But I think this is more about Texas A&M just really not being that good and falling victim to something that happens honestly every year: the preseason poll bias. Like, yeah. Basically, the only reason Texas A&M and Clemson up until this week have been inside the top ten is because they started the season inside the top ten, and. That's just like neither of them had a convincing win yet or a good win that said, hey, you know, nothing that either of those teams have shown this season says, hey, this is one of the two, this is one of the best 10 teams in the country. It's all just based off of preseason expectations, Um, which I really think because of that, they might need to think about going into the future, maybe not like having rankings until like the third week or something. Because like, you know, the playoff rankings don't come out till you know, two thirds of the season is almost done. Um, Cause you just can't live off of preseason expectations, especially with A&M talk about losing Kellen Mond and you got Zach Calzone or whoever the hell is quarterbacking <laughs> for them. Um, but yeah, they're, they're just not They're Again, they're just really not all that good. You can get all the preseason hype you want and they got it. But I seem to remember Jimbo Fisher saying a certain something about uh, beating Alabama or how they were going to put it to him in the off season. Yeah. yeah good luck with that. Good luck with that if you can't even handle Arkansas on, on neutral turf. Um, but, yeah, I think I think A&M's now staring down the barrel of a few tough games. Alabama's certainly a wash, I think. Then Ole Miss, learning more. we're going to learn more about them this weekend as they go to, to Tuscaloosa mm. to take on the Tide. But A&M, I, think, I don't think you can call them the second-best team in the West now. I think either Arkansas or, or maybe, maybe you say Ole Miss at this point is. But A&M certainly um, – you know they they're letting a lot of people down for sure, and I think at this point it's kind of pending a massive rebound. Where again they would take beating a team like Bama, I think it's they've basically kind of killed their chances at any real postseason um, implications. But and then final one on our well not our final one, but basically the last big one on they are who we thought they were. Oklahoma surviving a scare last week against a bad Nebraska team. We talked about it at length. They really should have got bit this time at home against West Virginia, but again another tight, tight win, sixteen to thirteen in Norman. But I think it's a yeah, it's a win. Yeah, they're still in the top ten, I think, in the polls. But they're only there because of preseason expectations. To me, Lath, this win proves they're not legit. Yeah, and it's it's really irritating because on one hand, we both know that they're fraud. We've seen them struggles. We've seen the offense not get going the way it should against teams that they really should be putting points up on. And then again, who do they play? Who's going to challenge them down the stretch in the Big 12? If they go undefeated, is are, are you going to put them in that spot even though they've obviously looked poor through multiple weeks? I mean, even with these type of performances, who's going to be the one to kind of move them out of the way and say, okay, 
you have been exposed? Because I, I can't think of anybody at the moment. Yeah, looking at the rest of their schedule, travel to Kansas State next week, then the Red River Showdown against Texas, then TCU at home, travel to Kansas, Texas Tech at home, and I think it's the last three games really where they're gonna it's gonna be kind of put up or shut up for them if they even make it to that point undefeated. But they go to Baylor, host Iowa State, um, and then travel to Oklahoma State. And again, none of those teams are really strong. Um, but I think you don't really have to look a, a ton further than Texas for a game that Oklahoma could potentially lose. I mean, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I have never once, not like these idiots around the country saying Texas is back, I have never once thought that, even <laughs> even when they um, beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Um, that was like, I never have bought in on this team, and they're not there. But, again, neither is Oklahoma, and they'll slip up. I, it's You know, it's not going to be Kansas or TCU or K-State or – probably even Iowa State, but somebody, I think, um, on the schedule will do it to them. But looking at Iowa State really briefly, though, we'd look at you know a couple of teams preseason that were kind of in that conversation of dark horse playoff teams, maybe, um, maybe potential Heisman candidates between a guy like Brock Purdy. Um, but you look at Iowa State and North Carolina, both coming in, I think preseason top ten, both of them, but at least both kind of thought of as – that second team in their conference, you know, Iowa State respectively behind Oklahoma and UNC behind Clemson. But UNC showed us week one that they just didn't get off the bus here in 2021, and I was hoping that was going to be a bit of an anomaly. You never know, like week one can can show you a lot of false things, but they proved the point that they're just really not it with a bad loss against Georgia Tech, and then Iowa State um, doing the same thing with a loss against Baylor, who I think now Baylor becomes the overrated team now jumping into the top 25 for the first time. But Big 12's down bad, ACC down horrendous with Clemson and UNC going down. But um, I guess which of these sides have disappointed you more here, um, UNC or Iowa State? I was never super high on Iowa State. I mean, that even though they were kind of talked about a lot last year, I didn't see much offense from them to warrant the hype, in my in my mind at least. UNC was a team that I am really down on. I know they lost some some key pieces to the draft, but they still had the core coming back. They had the potential Heisman candidate uh, quarterback in uh, Sam Howell, and they just that O line it's been terrible. But I know I want to get to something. I want to pose this question to you. I know we we didn't talk about this beforehand, but look, going through this week, the past couple weeks, you've seen the quarterback at Clemson not that good. We've seen Spencer Rattler struggle, not been consistent. Same was sent with a. Uh, uh, UNC Sam Howell these are all guys that were on the top of many people's Heisman big boards so looking at that you know where I'm going with this do do you think there's a candidate anywhere that kind of stands out right now Uh, I know it's early but you got to start having those conversations at some point and the guys that we thought were going to be in that discussion are no longer in it at least in my mind what are your thoughts yeah you're right those are there's definitely like a power vacuum here at the moment with several guys that were very highly uh, Tauted and thought of as Heisman contenders of the preseason, who have just basically all but shot their chances. Um, and the question is now, like again, who fills that? I think we're kind of staring down the barrel of a season like last year, where you know it's going to take a few weeks before somebody really jumps out. I mean, because Devonte Smith didn't really emerge as a Heisman favorite yeah. several weeks in after Jalen Waddle got hurt. Um, you know, 
I haven't watched enough of Alabama yet this season to know exactly what they've got on offense, but it wouldn't shock me if Alabama wide receiver X, you know, just puts <laughs> some great numbers on the board and all of a sudden becomes a Heisman contender. Because, um, you know, I think we talk a lot about these teams who are legit, who isn't. I think there's so far two, and we're going to learn a good bit more about Auburn. Or excuse me, not, not Auburn. Hey, yeah. There for sure. <laughs> um, we're going to learn a good bit more about Alabama and Georgia this week, but I think so far those are the only two that you can have any real confidence in as being as good as people probably think they are. Um, but nobody on those two teams you know, really jumps out at you. Certainly on Georgia's side, our best players across the board are generally running backs, but we just rotate too many guys for any one of them to get the numbers that it would take to win a Heisman. Um, so I think we're either looking at somebody from from Alabama, if Bryce Young really has a strong second half of the season, or even because you generally associate Heisman wins with winning. I you know I can't really in the playoff era. It's hard to really remember. Um, a Heisman winner whose team didn't make the playoff or at least weren't right there in the conversation. I think you'd have to go back to Lamar Jackson probably. Yeah. Um, and it took video game numbers. I mean, that saying gets overused a lot, honestly. But you think what he's doing now in the NFL is crazy. People who can remember him at Louisville, I mean, just nobody could touch him. Um, so I don't know if there's anybody out there doing that kind of stuff. Maybe that Liberty quarterback, I think Malik Willis, but – Oh. I don't know anything really about him. I just know that he's going number one overall in college fantasy drafts. So like his his numbers <laughs> must be crazy, but but yeah, I I, I honestly don't know because um, again, nobody nobody in those top two teams has shown me anything so far. Yeah, uh, I know one thing about Malik Willis. I wish <laughs> I wish Auburn still had him instead of offloading him this past year, but uh, that's <laughs> that's a whole nother story. Well, it's a perfect segue into. We might just have to make a segment called Insert <laughs> What the Fuck. Because last week it was Clemson, What the Fuck. Now it's your Tigers this time. Uh, Auburn hanging on against Georgia State. Looked for most of the game like they were going to lose. You got dudes from North Murray or Murray County High School scoring on you guys, which that's a really uh, <laughs> niche joke right there that nobody who listens to this is going to get. But like, I'll just defer to you here because I didn't watch that dumpster fire of a game. What what is going on in Auburn? Man, this I I will admit going into this game, I anticipated we might struggle a little bit at first, coming off of kind of just a a game where we felt like we would win against Penn State, or we felt like we had a shot at winning. Uh, then coming back and then trying to get focused, I thought there might be a little bit of an issue there. But boy, they really just did it to us, and it goes back to the, the D line, the overconfidence in the D line. If you watch the game, you go. I've had some t- chance to go back and look at some of the film on it, and uh, really, they oh, just you're in sp- one of those moods. Oh, you know man. you're mad as a fan. You go back and watch <laughs> the tape. Yeah, when you go back, and go what what happened? I mean, they just they spread everyone out to where the only people that were in the middle of the field was the D line, and against any other cupcake opponent, like you would think that would be, uh, we would take care of it. But they just gassed us, had no one second level, and then they just ran down the field. Uh, and then there's what I said earlier. I think I sent you a text during the game about what they were doing. They put everybody in the box because if you're going to stop Auburn nowadays, you stop the run because that's about all we can do right. Um, and when they did that, it gave us all the opportunity in the world to pass, and Bo Nix couldn't hit the routes. We, we had receivers running the wrong routes, which I'll get to in a second. But uh, and, 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 you know, I, I, it was great. It was a typical Auburn-Jordan-Hare finish uh, I, I said something like oh, Jordan Hare may as well be the Bermuda Triangle because there's just no logic at all in that stadium. Anything you know about college football, 
just goes out the window. Um, but Finley coming in on a fourth and nine that we should not have gotten throwing a touchdown pass and then following that up with a pick six of Smoke Monday. But this is something that I want to kind of rant a little bit more about, if I may. Um, there's all this stuff talking about, okay, Bo Nix had a bad game. Do we put in Finley? He came in and kind of saved us. Should we start him against his former team, LSU, next week? And I think what I think is going to happen is I think Bo is still going to get the start. And I say that because, as I found out earlier yesterday, Auburn has just fired uh, the receivers coach that we just hired this year. Four games into his contract, he has let go no more. So I think if that if you're Brian Harson and you're kind of working through that, you think, okay, the receivers are running the wrong routes. We're not getting the production from them that we want. Maybe not all of this is on Bo and his decision making. Maybe this is more of a of a core group thing, and they're trying to fix that. And I think this kind of opens the door to say, okay, look, this one this one's on somebody else. Bo, you got to pick it up. But I don't think that I think they still run him out there for the next game. Uh, what what are you thinking about that? You go with Bo, or would you go with Finley? Well, my first question is so. You mentioned Finley coming in because I didn't watch any of this game. You said Finley came in on that fourth down. Like, did was that like the only play he played the whole night, or did they bench Bo at some point and he got a couple series, or how did that transition work last week? They benched him kind of deep into the third quarter. Uh, I think Finley threw like 12, 13 passes, and he completed like eight or nine of them. Um, and uh, granted, it was good. I mean, props on him being ready to go. But Finley, I don't know. I just have so many vivid memories of us playing LSU last year and absolutely obliterating him. He threw two picks against us. Dude is the slowest guy in the pocket I've seen since, uh, I know you'll remember this, Jeremy Johnson. He gives massive Jeremy Johnson vibes from whatever year that was, 2014, uh, 15, whatever. Um, and that's just, I don't know. I don't know how what the ceiling is in our offense with a guy like that because we already have an O-line that's not great. And then you throw in a guy that's immobile. Everything has to go completely right for that to work off. And that's just not something that I think Auburn has in the cards at the moment. I think if you can keep an athlete in there, even if it is Bo Nix making some questionable decisions, then I think you got to go with that at this point. Yeah, well, I think you're stuck between an, an ass and a shitty quarterback, really, because, <laughs> like, Bo sucks. Like, I've been on that train for a while now, like, his <laughs> By I think the best game he ever played was his first start against Oregon, um, and then and then after that it's been basically kind of downhill from there. My uh, my granddad, who Lath knows and the audience will now know, is a huge Auburn fan, and he said something to me on the phone the other day. He's like, "Yeah, Bo Nix is just about uh, lived off his daddy's name for as long as he can. It's kind of <laughs> it's kind of wearing off." Um, so those who didn't know, his dad played quarterback at Auburn, and I guess was pretty good. I don't. He was really actually know. he was actually pretty average as well, so yeah, I'm not so, sure where the hype came from there. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> but yeah, Auburn in a tight spot, not in a good place. Um, and again, looking at a tough schedule going forward, just in that SEC mm. West, um, and with Arkansas being better than people thought, like Auburn, it's Auburn and Mississippi State kind of for that last team in the West oh. at this point. <laughs> I see the grimace on your face, but I. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to face facts. Um, but, yeah, they're Auburn not in a good spot. Quickly talk about Georgia because um, I've got to. This is I ultimately record this podcast, so got to have a little <laughs> dog's talk here. Um, UGA, I have written, commits a hate crime up in Nashville, just obliterates Vandy. Um, and I think Vandy freaking deserve it. As a guy who graduated from UGA last year, um, this probably didn't make a ton of headlines around the country, but Vandy basically just – 
decided not to play the game. Um, you know, which they, the result didn't matter for Georgia, but it was going to be Georgia's senior day. It was going to be my last chance as a student to see a game in Sanford Stadium. For a lot of these Georgia players, it was going to be their senior day. It got taken from them. So I'm glad we hung a crooked number up in Nashville. But it's almost like I don't think anybody even at Vandy cares. Like a thought that I had was like, is there such thing as a diehard Vandy football fan? Like during this game, <laughs> is are the chat boards getting fired up with people raging, calling for the coach's job? Or is everybody just so like, eh, yeah, whatever. Like I could kind of see them just not caring at all, um, which it's not as fun when your opponent doesn't care. Um, you want them to get pissed. But anyway, <laughs> now Georgia – has got a big-time matchup. College game day going to be in the building at Sanford Stadium. I'll be there as well. They just knew I was coming. That's why they are coming. Mm. Um, for a top-ten matchup now that Arkansas beat Texas A&M um, in Athens. Noon kick, though, Lay. Ah. Want to get a really, really quick take out of you here. How much, if at all, does it matter that this game is going to be in the noon slot in terms of the outcome? Uh, where is, is this? You said this game is at Georgia or Arkansas? Yeah, it's at Georgia. I wouldn't be going to Fayetteville. I'm <laughs> going to Athens. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's going to matter too much. I think, I mean, Georgia's going to be amped. They may even be even more amped to play. Like, how dare you put us at this noon slot? So I, I think it's going to be a good game. Um, I don't know. I want to see Arkansas make some noise, but this Georgia team's just so good. Well, Arkansas has been making some noise early on. Again, the reason this is a noon game is because a couple weeks ago slash preseason when ESPN is kind of laying out the college football landscape, looking at scheduling, nobody thought this was going to be that good of a game, much less a top 10 matchup. So that's why you've got other games taking priority um, at night. But it's funny, actually, Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler will be on the call at noon, which I think is their first time in a while calling a noon game. Um, but it will be actually back-to-back weeks that game day will be live inside the stadium as they get close to noon, um, as you saw with Wisconsin-Notre Dame last week. But So Arkansas-Notre Dame, two of the biggest movers in the AP poll this week, both with big wins, both move inside the top ten. Laith, which team, in your opinion, has a better chance of finishing the season there? I almost put staying there, but given that both these teams have pretty big uh, matchups this week, and I, I don't think either of us expect Arkansas to win, so you'd, you'd think they'd probably yo-yo back down after a loss. But which team has a better chance at finishing the season inside the top ten between Arkansas and Notre Dame? You know, I think if you did a head-to-head, I think Arkansas is a better team than Notre Dame. But I think just from a conference standpoint, Notre Dame has the best, uh, I guess, chances to end up in the top ten. Arkansas is a new team. They're kind of finding their identity right now. And they are, they're playing great football, but they have got – quite a road ahead of them versus uh, Notre Dame who really there's a few tough games here and there but they're not there's not much that's really going to put them off their course I don't think so I would say that because of the tough road Notre Dame is the team that I think would have the best chance of landing in that top 10 spot yeah so obviously we talked about Arkansas going to UGA this week Notre Dame hosts Cincinnati, actually slight underdogs, um, according to Vegas in that matchup. Then really? on the road at Virginia Tech, USC at home, revamping that classic rivalry. Then UNC at home, which now looks like a much easier game than it did last week. They get Navy, Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Stanford. So, yeah, looks like as much as we love doubting Notre Dame, as much as, as much as a lot of people like doubting Notre Dame, and rightfully so given their record once they actually get to the playoff, it looks like if they can just get by Cincinnati at home here, nobody really the rest of the way is going to test them. And 
you know, they they played for their first and only ever conference title last year. They've they've you know that was a one time deal in the ACC, so they're not going to run into anybody in any conference championship game because they're not going to play one. Um, so it looks like if the Fighting Irish can get it done this week, that almost locks a top ten finish for them. So I agree with you there. I would be interested to see what a, a really healthy Notre Dame against Arkansas, how that game would go. I think that'd be a brutal, bloody nose of a game. Yeah. Um, but but you're right. Two two solid teams who are kind of punching above their weight class at this point. But I think I'm with you. Notre Dame probably stays in there. Before we jump to some NFL, wow, we've spent a lot of time on college football here, but nothing, nothing wrong with that. It was a great weekend. Um, I got to talk a little bit about my bad beats. And honestly, there's no real way to do this quickly, but I'll try to make it as quick as I can. <laughs> so are you familiar with what a bad beat is, Lay? Yeah, yeah, where you barely missed the bet. Yeah. So, for those that are unwashed in the uh, gambling arts, bad beat is basically everything in the game looked like it was going your way to win. Something kind of crazy or unexpected or dumb, a mistake happens late um, that causes you to lose or not cover. And so, in this instance, I got burned by a couple here, one of which I'm actually going to take an uh, in-depth look at because it kind of requires me to spin the yarn of the story here to get just how bad of a beat this was. But So I've got Akron plus 50 against Iowa State. Or not Iowa State, excuse me, Ohio State um, last week, which you already just know you're a degenerate gambler if this is you're betting on a 50-point spread. But anyway, <laughs> long story short, Akron are down 45-7 to seven late. Um, I may even have to pull up my script here because it's honestly a lot. I sent I sent like a very long text uh, to my friends explaining this. I want to make sure I get this right. Um, so yeah, Akron plus 50, first and goal from the Ohio State 7 with about six minutes left, and they're down 45. So at this point, you're thinking even a field goal pushes it to – because, you know, at, at, at down 45 – Five points pushes it to eight points. Ohio State's not going to go down the field, score, and go for two or whatever, you know. So you're feeling pretty good inside the 10. Um, definitely going to get a field goal one. Anyway, penalty and two sacks backs them up, leads to them missing a 42-yard field goal. Ohio State gets the ball back, drives down, and scores quickly to go up uh, by 52. So I'm not winning money at this point. Um Akron gets the ball with a little over two minutes left. And shockingly to me, you think, hey, you're, you've are you just got your ass handed to you on a silver platter all night. Um, take a couple knees and get out of there with your tail between your legs. But no, Akron coach is running the two-minute drill. They're driving. They're trying, to, they're trying to get a little more out of this game. And at this point, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I do have a chance. Um, drive down the field with one timeout. Manage to get the ball to the Ohio State 20. Again, been, they're getting beat 52-7. to at this point, so or whatever it even is, I can't remember the score. Like they haven't really had too many drives to even cross the fifty, much less again get into the red zone. But ball on the OSU twenty seconds ticking down, no more timeouts. Have a wide open guy on a streak in the end zone, perfect throw hits the dude in the chest and he drops it. Um, so would have been a guaranteed cover if he catches that. I would have won. Doesn't. They run another play, get sacked, clock ticking down, five, four, three. I'm just like, ah, oh, damn. Akron calls their last time out. Coach is not ready to go home yet after <laughs> this ass whooping. He wants some more. And I'm like, okay, do you trot your kicker back out to maybe rebuild his confidence? And that would give me a cover, too, by one point. Nope, they decide to run another offensive play. And what happens? Another sack. And they don't cover. So 
That one burned me pretty bad. Um, I'm expecting that fully to be on S- Scott Van Pelt's Bad Beat segment on SportsCenter tonight. And then lastly, a quick one. I had Michigan State minus five. Game goes to overtime. They intercept Nebraska on their first possession, almost run it back for a pick six, which I didn't know could happen in overtime. I didn't know, I, I didn't know if they would just blow that dead or what. But dude runs it back like 60 yards but gets tackled in the end. Um, then Michigan State on their first play of their possession – breaks a big run, gets stopped at the one-yard line, and then proceed to kick a field goal to only win by three. So, <laughs> love see, to see that. See, that's the problem with betting is sometimes you'll be watching a good game like this, but other times it's got you – it'll have you watching the Akron-Ohio State game and being all in. Well, oh. luckily both of these were late night beyond um, any of the good games uh, of, of the week, but – yeah, it'll have you in a tough spot, that's for sure. But with that, let's move on to where both you and I have been have been feeling some pain here in the NFL. Our picks have been bad, and they got worse this week. But we'll save that for just a quick second here. want to go a little fast, but shock starts continue. Last week, you talked about which was more surprising, Broncos, Raiders, or Panthers starting 2-0. Well, damn it, they went and won another one, and now all of them are 3-0. And actually, these three teams are three of only five total undefeated teams that remain in the National Football League. So, Laith, I'll put it to you. Of those three, which is more likely to keep it going? Uh, I think the Raiders. I, I know they got a tough matchup coming up, but I think they're the most, uh, I guess, balanced team on this list. Uh, <laughs> I watched the Panthers game the other day, and the moment I saw the uh, the backup QB that was in – who was it that they played this past week? Uh, gosh, I don't remember. I was going to watch Jets, the game. I think. No, it was somebody no, else. That was that was Broncos actually played the Jets. Whoever it was, they put in their backup QB, and I was expecting a good game until I looked at him and saw that it was like a <laughs> a younger twenty something year old guy that was already balding, just looked like the most insignificant QB I've ever seen, and I just immediately knew this game was over. It wasn't going to be a contest. Yeah, uh, I forgot. <laughs> they, they were they played the Texans on Thursday night. That's right. Yeah, yeah, the Texans. I can't remember. David something was his name. So sorry to roast him, but all that to say, I don't think that the the Panthers didn't have to work too hard for that dub, and thus I feel like the Raiders are the most impressive. Yeah, I think the Raiders are the best team of that bunch, but that's a tough division, that with the Chiefs and the Chargers. Um, and actually the Broncos are also in that as well. Um, but yeah, Raiders have are at the Chargers next week. Broncos host the Ravens, and Panthers travel to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. I think if you took my question literally, as in which team is most likely to remain undefeated after next week, probably leaning toward Panthers. But as far as who will actually end up having the better season, I think I'm with you on the Raiders. Um, but other uh, the other two, you know, I mentioned three out of five undefeated teams. The other two are both in the NFC West. Rams officially stake their claim as the Super Bowl favorites early on with a big win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Arizona Cardinals on their tails a little bit, both at 3-0 and in that division. Um, I guess, real quick, Lath, Cardinals, I'm, I'm still a little bit hesitant to, to buy in real hard into that team, but the Rams look like they have they look like a Super Bowl-ready team. Oh, yeah. Rams look like the full package, and it really, man, it's really a good feeling to see. I know you like it, too, as a Georgia guy, to see Stafford out there having fun and really competing for the first time in his career. I think they, they got completely just stacked team on both sides and you're right this um this Cardinals team is going to get into some shootouts but I don't I don't think the defense is there yet 
Speaking of teams that the defense definitely isn't there, but you'd think Patrick Mahomes and company would be able to hold it up. Man. Is it time to panic for the Chiefs after a one and two start? The first time they've been sub five hundred since twenty fourteen. That was Coach Andy Reid's second season. They basically lose this one in the same fashion they kind of did with the Ravens. Kind of had a chance late after giving up a late touchdown to do something with it, but ultimately Patrick Mahomes, who was Superman for the past three years, basically since he's been you know since that second season in the league for him when he won the MVP. The Chiefs are looking very vincible, I guess, if that's the opposite of it. Um, you know, where do you stand on on h- how good the Chiefs actually are this season and whether they should be worried about this start? Well, you know, they're bringing in uh, Josh Gordon, so they'll oh, be fine. You know, that makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, they'll be fine for the four games that he's able to play before he's inevitably suspended for like this, what, 10th time? I don't know. But I think the Chiefs, it's just another thing. they got to completely – remade offensive line they brought in a lot of guys and even when you like we see it in soccer also when you bring in a lot of transfers you don't see that immediate success because there's no chemistry and I think that's kind of where the Chiefs are in terms of the offense so now you're right they, they do have a pretty rebuilt offensive line but the the fantasy team they've got over there is still the same though they've managed to hold that that quarterback <laughs> running back wide receiving court pretty well together for for a few years and it's not that they're not making plays, but that defense just can't stop anybody. Um, as we saw, you know, this week and last week um, against the Ravens. And quickly on the subject of the Ravens, did you see Justin Tucker's record record breaking field goal? Yeah, that was nice. He had a little bit of a crow hop too, which I don't you don't normally see from kickers. I didn't know that was even a thing that would help, but boy, he nailed that one. Yeah, sixty six yard double doinker. Um, mm. I was watching this this live and to see the ball coming and hit the crossbar from the angle behind the goalpost, you can't tell if off the crossbar it's going, you know, backward towards the field and therefore going to be no good or going forward. Um, it ended up going like way forward, actually. Like it ended up making it to the net. Um, but looking at it, it looked like we were going to need some goal line technology on it because it looked <laughs> like it went straight up from where I was watching it. But um, incredible kick. Justin Tucker, you know, basically been the best kicker in the NFL since he's been in there. Some would maybe say he's the greatest of all time. Um, but adding this record to his list is certainly is certainly nice. But a little bit of controversy involved in it. Um, we won't debate it, but it's worth noting. Looks like there should have been a delay a game penalty on the Ravens, the snap um, prior to that, that would have knocked them, you know, Again, if he made it by the skin of his teeth from 66, I don't think from 71 he would have had much of a chance. Um, But the Ravens end up getting it done against the Lions. And then lastly, real quick, a kick six by the Jags. Matt Prater, actually, who did own the longest field goal record, who currently kicks for the Cardinals, tried a 65-yarder that would, I think, have tied his record. I think it may have been 64 or 65. But um, kick six by the Jags. I know as an Auburn guy, you know, those two (laughs) words together bring back fond memories. Um, oh, yeah. But that was but that was pretty neat. And then lastly, I just, you know, only saw this because of NFL red zone, but thought it was pretty interesting. Really unusual safety from Jacoby Brissett, the brisket in the uh the Dolphins <laughs> offense last week. Um threw a not even really a screen pass, just kind of one of those throw those throws out in the flat where the wide receiver just never even gets off the line. He just turns, catches it um at the line and tries to do something with it. Well, the Raiders blow it up, take it for a safety. 
And Pro Football Reference actually tweeted during the game that since they've been keeping stats, which has been a long-ass time, that's the first time that there's ever been a safety on a completed forward pass that did not have a penalty or a fumble in it. So, wow. a lot of ways to score in the NFL, and there's a new one. Yeah, that was their first points of the game, wasn't it? Like the yeah, two on the scoreboard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Raiders were up. They had a score of five at one point. So, yeah, I think they had they had the safety and then a field goal. Um, yeah, that caps what was a pretty interesting weekend um, in the NFL. A lot of first time, you know, a lot of records being broken. Got that kick, got this safety, and then that kick six by the Jags ties obviously the longest scoring play in NFL history because you can't be any longer than 109 yards um, with the kick six. I couldn't help but thinking, though, about the – the Rod, Rod Bramlett and the guy who calls Auburn games. Yeah. He ran it back 109 yards. Yeah, I couldn't help yeah. but think about that as I was watching it. But he's got his work cut out for him because Gus Johnson was on the call for that game, and I love me. Gus can get excited like with the best of them on a big play. Um, so he made that he made that really interesting. But before we take a quick break and come back with some international football, and I'm so excited to talk some Arsenal here in a little bit, uh, quickly one-on-one through – um, our picks for this weekend in college football and the NFL. But before that, a recap of how we did last week. I'm stretching out a bit of a lead over over Lay uh, in college football, at least. Now 7-2 and two on the year compared to Lay's 5-4. and four. Last week, I caught a dub with Notre Dame handling Wisconsin easily as Lay thought the Badgers were going to do something, and they didn't. Uh, both took some L's against with, uh, with Texas A&M, and then both narrowly grabbed a win with Oklahoma against West Virginia. But this week, big SEC matchups coming up. Number eight, Arkansas at number two, UGA. I will be there. I will not pull a Kirk Herbstreet like you tried to do um, with (laughs) Auburn-Penn State and not make a pick here. I think Georgia wins big. Spread is 19. I think that's a little rich. I don't know about that. But 38-14 dogs is my guess. Well, you can afford to come in a lot more confidently than I did. So, But I I agree with you. I got 31-10. I got the dogs. I just think they're just above everybody else at the moment. Got to watch out about a sleepy noon game, but that's the last I'll I'll jinx that. Um, next, number seven Cincinnati at number nine Notre Dame. Probably the two best teams in the in the Midwest at this point, with Ohio State kind of struggling here. <laughs> um, I really, you know, I've seen a good bit of Notre Dame, so I like to think I feel a bit better about them having not watched any of Cincinnati. But quarterback going to be a question for the Fighting Irish as Jack Cohn picked up an injury. Um, late in the game against Wisconsin. Um, backup came in and fared fine, and from what I've read today, it looks like um, th- it looks like Notre Dame expects him to play this week. But with that uncertainty, I know Notre Dame are underdogs somehow at home, but I think Notre Dame wins 24-17, but it'll be pretty close. Yeah, I think so. I think this one comes back for it to be in – this goes back to being a home game for him. Notre Dame gets the dub, 31-21. Then lastly, rounding out the college football picks, number 12 – Ole Miss at number one, Alabama. Bama minus 15 and a half in this game. This will be the prime time CBS game at 3.30 in the afternoon. I will say I'm, I'm super hyped that, that Georgia is the game day game, but I love me some Ole Miss-Bama at 3.30. A lot of great games um, in that matchup. But I think Bama takes care of business today. I don't think they can stop this Ole Miss offense really well, but – um, I think they'll do just enough to outscore them. 45-35 would not be a cover for the Tide for those who are interested. 
Yeah, it's just good to have the SEC play open up. Maybe now that we see real teams playing against each other, we can get an accurate depiction of what the college football landscape actually looks like. So I'm going with uh, Bama this one, 49-38. A lot of offense from Ole Miss, but I think Bama gets it done. All right, Lathe. Well, you can't really make up ground on me when you just copy nah. my picks, but got got three of the same. Um, and then in the NFL, I don't think anybody wants to copy our picks there. Um, on the season, uh, both of us sitting at a well under 503 and six record. Two losses last week: Chiefs and Bucks, letting us down. But always next week, which is exactly what I said last week. Um, first matchup: Cardinals at Rams, battle of the undefeateds. Um, in the NFC West, Rams at home, six-point favorites. I like them to take care of business, 31-27. Yeah, I think Rams are the real deal right now. Rams get the dub, 34-20. Oh, big cover lay predicted mm. there. Um, next up, the return of Tom Brady to New England. Both of them coming off a loss. Looking ahead ahead at this game, I was like, oh, man, because Bel- the Patriots, obviously, I think they had the early window and they lost first. I was like, oh, Bill Belichick after a loss. They're going to come out hungry. Then I was like, wait, Tom Brady after a loss. He's going to be pissed off. So I don't know which is the lesser of two evils there, but I, the Bucks are a better team. Pats are getting five-and-a-half-point underdogs, but I think Tampa Bay comes in there and handles them easily 34-17. Yeah, I think so too. Experience over the new guy, uh, Mac Jones. Tampa Bay wins 35-17. And lastly, another uh, division matchup, Raiders at Chargers. Ah, Tough to call here. As of me picking this today, since this actually is next Monday night's game, I didn't actually yet have a line for this one. Um, probably really tight. I'm thinking Chargers just narrowly at home, edge one, but I could see it going either way. But I've got 24-23 to the Bolts. Well, this may be where I make my move. I got Raiders winning this one 24-21. Luck has been on their side recently, so hopefully that continues. I mean, they are Vegas' team, so if anybody's going to get lucky, it's going to be. Oh, yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, come back. North London Derby talk coming up. All right, welcome back to the Away Days podcast in the second half of our show where we switch switch football to football across the Atlantic um, over to the soccer realm. Big weekend of results for for teams across Europe, but there's only one place to start late. They commented on, obviously it's a visual medium, nobody listening to this can see this. Got my Arsenal scarf on. I made a point last week, hey, it's been done before. A team in the English top flight lose the first three, go on to win the league. Well, Arsenal haven't let me down yet. Get a big 3-1 win over hated rivals Tottenham Hotspur. That makes three straight for the Gunners. And I'll let you go first so that I can have the floor. But watching the broadcast, Arlo White, commentator for NBCSN, kept kind of bringing up after a couple of the goals, like, have we seen the the first day of a new Arsenal or whatever? Talking about, is this going to be the day that people remember as Mikel Arteta's turning point? And I was like, okay, let's hold off on that a little bit. But from the neutral perspective, how big of a win for Arsenal is this? I think this is a big win. I think that the club has continued to buy into what Arteta brings to the table. Uh I think I picked Tottenham in this game, actually, so the Spurs let me down. But, yeah, I think when you look at this Arsenal team, they've got a lot of the pieces. You know, Aubameyang's firing on all cylinders, and even the uh, the new signing, uh, Tamayasu, starting it right back, he didn't look too bad. I went and looked back at some of the highlights. 
uh, yeah, I think that this is a team, an Arsenal team, that can be taken seriously going forward. As I boost your ego here a little bit, I, th- I think this is a team that's going to cause some trouble in the Premier League this year too. So they're going to be a fun team to watch down the stretch. Yeah, Tamiyasu actually won man of the match um, for yeah. the Gunners, which is exciting. And I just love a Japanese player on the team. Like that's <laughs> I couldn't tell you the last I think the last time Arsenal had an Asian player was like Chung Yu Park, which that honestly predates me as a fan. Um so been been a while. But he's like a big bruising right back, you know. Usually the Asian players yeah. are kind of thought of as more finesse, tactically sound players. Look at like Hyungmin Sun who did score in this game for Spurs. Um, and another guy like Shinji Kagawa and some others. Um, but rarely you see a big bruiser of an Asian guy getting it done, but he he has been so far. Um, and I'm with you, a huge win. I obviously was just so hype, just so thrilled with the result. Um, I did tentatively pick Arsenal in this game, but I, I kind of thought it was just me being a little biased. Um, I won't say this result shocks me, but I certainly didn't expect it. Um, but is a big win for us, but I'm really hesitant to just buy all in into Arteta because man I can remember that winless streak last season you know winning three games in a row against Norwich Burnley and then a good and then Spurs that doesn't that doesn't erase like 10 matches without a win in the Premier League last season and it doesn't erase losing to Brentford in the first weekend and getting manhandled by Chelsea and City um but I, I am hopeful I am hopeful in the the Next few fixtures look very doable um, for Arsenal. I think there's an international break coming up, but off the top of my head, um, let's see. They take on more mid to bottom dweller teams in the Premier League. Brighton next on October second. Then you get that. Then you get that break before returning with Crystal Palace, Villa, Leeds in the NF- EFL Cup, Leicester, Watford, and then Liverpool. Um, well over. Uh, a month from now, November November twentieth. So Arsenal's got a stretch where they can really start to climb back up the table into that top four, um, and it's been a meteoric climb from where they were after those first three games. Obviously, zero points through three games has you in twentieth, um, but then three straight. We're now above Spurs with that win, which is always <laughs> always nice. But as quick as I am, and I, as much as I love to heap praise on Arsenal, I think you can't ignore how bad Spurs are at the moment, which that gives me almost an equal amount of joy, to be fair. But I'm, I'm hesitant to give Arsenal too, too much credit because I really am not big on on Spurs at the moment. Um, they they have not impressed me at all. Um, they've been, they've given up three goals in back-to-back games after getting beaten, uh, you know, I think it was Palace beat them by, like with three goals last week. Chelsea beat them soundly, I think the week before that. Um, so nothing to get excited about over at Tottenham, which, which, Hey, I'm thrilled about, but you know, again, <laughs> kind of, we're an Arsenal team. who's now going to kind of, Hey, act like you've been there before, even though, you know, beating <laughs> Tottenham is certainly a place we have been, but have any of these current squad members been there before though? <laughs> uh, no, not really. Um, but again, just huge, huge win. And I was just, you know, I just don't want to put any more expectations on it. As a fan, I just want to kind of be happy that it happened and not read into it too much about what it means going forward. Um, but teams that you know definitely have higher aspirations in Arsenal um, struggled this weekend. Um, looking at uh, you know because kind of coming in this week, I know we talked last week about Chelsea and City as we were making picks for that game. Um, 
basically how they were kind of the two most impressive teams up at the top, even though it was like, a, I think at the time, a four-way tie between United, Liverpool, Chelsea, and City. Um, but United and Liverpool both falter. Liverpool um, ending up in a draw against, I really ought to know better, and then Manchester United actually losing um, despite a late chance for Bruno Penendez um, missing late. Kind of makes you wonder if Cristiano Ronaldo will come in and start taking those penalty reps. Um, but yeah. both of those teams faltering, but Chelsea, excuse me, Manchester City did not. Taking on Chelsea, get a big win, 1-0 at the bridge. I have in the show notes, City reminding everyone that they are indeed defending champions and kind of taking a small and very early, but a lead nonetheless at the top of the table. I guess, which of these results to you, Laith? I don't want to say tells the truth, but will have will show indicate something that'll be present going forward. Like, is this kind of a watermark or watershed win for Man City that they can really you know go off from here, or should we expect United and Liverpool to still be right there? You know, as we come down the stretch. I really think that Man City has now turned the corner. You know, I we harped on a lot last week how they're really missing that uh, that dominant striker uh, in that setup, but. Jesus, Gabriel Jesus really came in and played really a complete game, looked good in all facets, whether it was hold-up play, whether it was just uh, just everything. So I think that he's someone that has a lot to prove, and I think he realizes that. I think they're kind of catering to his strengths now. And I think that this is a team that, I, that Pep Guardiola is going to be able to turn around or keep on this path and continue to be kind of that dominant force at the top of the table. Yeah, Liverpool, again, couldn't find a second to go. Drawing against Brentford, 3-3. Uh, Man United losing 1-0 to Villa. Um, now taking a look at the top of the standings there. Um, still really tight up at the top. Uh, Liverpool actually still in the league as the uh, last unbeaten team in the Premier League. So the Invincibles probably going to get an early celebration this year. Not going to have to sweat it near as much. Um, but Liverpool on 14 points. City, Chelsea, and United. And actually Everton. And Brighton all on 13. Wow, that's actually extends a little bit further than I thought. Maybe Brighton won't be the cakewalk that I was hoping it would be for Arsenal next week. Um, but, yeah, I think City kind of found something a little bit there. Again, that offense still struggling. I mean, that's only one goal, but Chelsea defend so well, especially at home. So, really, anything you can, can get over on them um, is a good result. And just some real, you know, again, if the offense is going to struggle for Man City, it's going to take – that back line and uh, Ruben Diaz and and Aderson and like a, a team that we've not always associated with super strong defending. But if they can defend like that for much of this season, they'll be able to let that offense grow um, into itself a little bit. But but yeah, I think City getting a little slept on in the past few games, not really taking care of business. But this was a, a really big win um, for them. Now, how much did it take out of them? is a big question because huge Champions League implications this week as match day two is fast approaching starting tomorrow. Um, City coming off what it was a big win, but one they really had to work for, now get to travel to Paris to take on PSG, who is looking to avoid a really tough start after only being able to get a draw against Bruges in match day one. This one looks like it will likely go a long way to deciding who wins this group here, Leith, PSG or Man City. Without asking for a straight-up prediction, because we do have that in our top matches um, here in just a bit, how much 
will City have, I guess, if a hangover is the right word, because it's a pretty quick turnaround between between these games here um, with Champions League coming up. Yeah, I think there'll be a little bit of a hangover. But, you know, this is also a team we just talked about. They're still kind of putting together their identity, so I think the focus will be there. Um, I do have a little bit of a prediction here. I think that um, Leo Messi, who, if I am correct, which I think I am, has not scored yet, I think he comes in and gets his debut goal in this matchup. So I, I think this is one that still ends up going Paris's way. Uh, but I don't, I don't think we'll see too much of a hangover from City, maybe a little bit. But they're, like I said, they're still trying to find themselves and they're focused at the moment. Yeah, this is, you can almost call it the messy bowl. Um, a team that doesn't sound good. That sounds dirty. <laughs> yeah. the, the messy bowl. Messy bowl. Um, but basically, City, for the longest time, being thought of as the club that Messi would join should he leave Barca, but obviously ends up in Paris. Um, I think, you know, this is, you know, you wouldn't call it an upset PSG winning, um, but this is cl- as close to a desperate PSG team as you're ever going to see. We know how much the Champions League means to them, and they need yeah. to get off to a better start than a draw and a loss. So I think you'll see them throw everything they've absolutely got at City. And I imagine, you know, I don't have the lineups in front of me, but I'd imagine PSG rested some guys at the weekend um, to get ready for this matchup. But, and then of course, you know, next weekend always have the comfort of the Farmers League to return to, whereas <laughs> City, uh, City do not have that luxury. In fact, they this week host Liverpool. So yeah, <laughs> the tough, tough stretch of three games for the mm. Citizens. But if there's any team that's deep enough to handle that, it probably um, is them. But looking elsewhere in Champions League. Early decisive match as well in Group B. Your boys, AC Milan, hosting Atletico. After a disappointing performance in the first match for Milan against Liverpool, now playing, again, we talked about this as being the group of death. They get the the, the other two big boys in their first two games, get them at home, again, in the Champions League format, the first of two matchups they'll have with Atleti. But after Liverpool's hot start, and I think we both agree that they're probably the best team in that group, this is where the fight for second is going to take place between Milan and Atleti. So is this, given that this is the home matchup, knowing they're going to have to go to the Wanda Metropolitano Stadium in Spain in a couple weeks, is this must win for AC Milan if they want to get out of this group? You know, I, I really think it is. This is one of the tougher uh, group of deaths we've seen in a while. And it's going to be tough because this Italian league is really, I know the past couple of years there haven't been much of a competition, but the past two years – this Italian league has really been up for grabs. And I think uh, Milan is focused on that, so they're really going to be thin in some areas. So when you look at that, what they have to deal with in the league and then going in and saying, oh, we're in the toughest group stage game, I think this is a game that's really going to weigh on the manager's mind and going, look, this could get really bad really fast if we don't pull one out right here. Yeah, yeah. Milan's currently sitting in second in Serie A between behind Napoli, um, but it's it's really close up at the top between those guys, Inter, um, Lazio hanging around, and then looking over at La Liga, Atletico, three points off the top of the table, Real Madrid, but um, Atletico having won La Liga last year, um, of course they always want to repeat, every team always wants to win their domestic league, but I think if ever was there a year for them to focus more on Champions League, I think this could be it. Um, but yeah, I they obviously took care of business in their first game playing the you know the bad team in that group um not sure because you know in the group of death especially when one with three really strong strong teams there's always just one absolute pushover 
um, in those groups, and Atletico were lucky to draw them. Well, you say pushover. Actually, they they played Porto. I forgot how this yeah. how this group was built up, and actually only came away with a draw. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this matchup still sets up uh, better for Atletico in that, like being able to get a point at least at Porto. Should they lose this game? Still, only they'd only still be two behind Milan, like a very surmountable deficit there. But if Atletico, you know, if if after this match day you have Liverpool with six points, Atletico with four, um, and Milan with with zero, I think that's a tough tough hill to climb um, for the Bianconeri there. Um, looking elsewhere a little bit uh, in well, not Serie A, but Italian teams in the Champions League. Juve, we talked a lot about how disappointing they've been in the league so far this season, um, but. In the Champions League, they come up against another team who's licking their wounds after the weekend who caught the uh, the L from City, uh, Juventus, taking on Chelsea. I think that is at Stamford Bridge. Um, it is indeed. So that I think that's a game we're going to pick there. But I guess, is this a situation, like, I don't want to say trap game vibes here for Chelsea because I think Chelsea is definitely better, but I think that's doing a disservice to call Juventus that much of an underdog. But... I think certainly, you know, if ever there was a situation where Chelsea would be a bit weakened, well, not weakened, weakened after a tough weekend, <laughs> would be coming off that Man City loss. Could you see Juve? The, it's hard, feels weird for me to describe him this way, but a scrappy Juve coming in and getting a win? Yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying there. This is a scrappy Juve that lost Ronaldo, and when Ronaldo transferred, we really haven't heard much about their chances in anything. So I think they're also another team that's looking at you going, hey, we're still Juventus. We're still one of the best teams in Italy, and we still have something to prove. And I could see Chelsea, especially with the Premier League schedule they've been on, like you mentioned, coming in and slipping up here as well. Yeah, so that'll, again, go a long way toward deciding how that group will shape up. Juve and Chelsea, again, by far the uh, the strongest squads in Group H that is rounded out by Zenit St. Petersburg and Malmo. So... Again, doesn't have a whole lot of sway over who will advance out of this group, but could be an early early indication of who's actually going to win and draw that first seed. Um, so, yeah, bunch of big UCL this week. And with that, we'll round things out here. Been on the pod already a, a fair bit over an hour, so we'll wrap things up pretty quickly here with our picks. Um, look at last week. Again, this is probably our strongest performance of any of the picks between college football, NFL, and soccer. I'm sitting at six and three, Laith at four and five. Last week, <clears throat> both took L's in City and Chelsea. I know I had a draw. I think you probably did as well. Um, Arsenal helping me in more ways than one, getting a win for me in the in the column over you, as you had Spurs, and we both uh, were unable to correctly predict Valencia at Sevilla. So this time around, um, another chance to get back into the win column, and hopefully for me to expand my lead over you a little bit. Biggest matchup in the UCL City at PSG. Talked about it at length. Not much more to say. I like 2-1 PSG. Yeah, I like PSG on 3-2. I think they really get the goals firing this game. Going to need Messi, I think, to perform to get a score that high, but should be Mm -hmm. able to do it. City doing double duty on our matchups of the week. We talked about coming off of big win at Chelsea, play PSG, and then they get to travel to Liverpool um, at this weekend. I think... As good as City are, I think that's just been too brutal of a stretch. I don't see any way they come through that stretch without losing one, if not two, of those. 
I know we both have PSG in that previous one, but I think if they're more susceptible to lose any of them, it's probably this one, and I like Liverpool 3-2. Yeah, I've got Liverpool winning 2-1. I think that they, they followed that one. And lastly, our first La Liga pick of the year, because, again, we've only got really – well, no, I guess last week was La Liga. Wow, my memory's bad. I literally just said how we had picked Valencia. <laughs> um, our first – Derby, shall we say, in La Liga. Barca at Atletico. I think I actually like Barca to win in the Champions League this week. I forget exactly who they're playing, but it's a winnable game. Um, but on the road at Atletico, low-scoring game. I just don't think Barca can score on the better defenses. We saw how they looked against Bayern. I think Atletico wins 1-0. Yeah, I think Atletico actually wins 2-0. This is from seeing firsthand against Bayern. This is a bad, bad Barca team. I don't think that they – I think they give up two goals, don't score anything. All right. Well, been right in the past. Hopefully we can keep things going and really need that NFL record to turn around. But <laughs> thanks, as always, for joining us on the Away Days podcast. Be sure to check us out now on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. I think those are the same things, actually, iTunes and Apple Podcasts. But wherever you get your podcasts, unless, of course, it's not one of those two. Thanks again. Join us on the next one.